Welcome to Almost Here, Around the Corner of Future Technology podcast with Richard Jacobs. Future technologies poised to transform our lives for better or worse are the focus of this podcast. Almost Here means these technologies are now here and starting to be used. We're just around the corner from Bitcoin to artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Future Tech Podcast. My guest today is Dr. Ryan Lowry. Uh, he's the head of ketogenic.com. Dr. Lowry, how are you doing? Great, Rich. How are you? Good. I'm glad to be talking to you. Yeah, we're doing a series on uh, ketogenic diets and uh, the science of it. And you know, I looked at your website briefly. And uh, would you be able to give a, a brief intro of your work? Because you know, it looks like you have a very extensive background, a lot of history in the industry. So I wanted to hear from you. Uh, what do you think the most important parts are? Well, thank you very much. And I'm honored to be on here. Um, so a little bit of background on, on myself. Uh, I grew up an athlete. I played sports my entire life. I went off to college to play baseball at the University of Tampa. And there's where I met my now business partner, Dr. Jacob Wilson. And that's really when I first started doing research uh, at that laboratory. And we published studies on exercise, on training, um, different training variables, uh, nutrition, supplement strategies. We just did a whole bunch of different research. And one of the things that I came to know and, and really become interested in is this concept of lowering carbohydrate intake, because my family had always suffered with uh, obesity and, and complication, health complications. And so I really wanted to figure out how can I help them? How can I take my passion for learning about this material and apply it to something that can ultimately benefit them. And I met some colleagues and now friends in the industry, Dr. Jeff Bolick, Dr. Don Diagostino, who were some of the early pioneers in this work, and were really exploring it more for either endurance athletes or Navy SEAL divers and epilepsy. And there was a real big void of what other potential is there for a ketogenic diet. And so Jacob and I really embarked on this, looking into this and saying, all right, well, if you can take, can you take resistance trained athletes, put them on a well-formulated ketogenic diet and see if they can gain muscle. And that was one of the first studies we ever did. And from there, it's just been building and building and building of nonstop research, nonstop education, uh, so much so to a point where we, we published our book last year called The Ketogenic Bible, and then took over ketogenic.com in an effort to really make sure that we're putting out high quality information and we're protecting this conversation, right? Because you look at what yeah. happened with Atkins and you look at what happens with a lot of fad diets is they get really popular. All these people start doing it and then it fades out because there's no legitimate science to back it up. But in actuality, mm. what we have here is something that's pretty, pretty powerful and has a lot of legitimate science coming out on it every single day. And our goal is to provide information and research and talk to individuals like yourself who are really getting the message out there of, hey, this is a lifestyle, this is something that, that's real, that's happening, and how does someone approach it from the right angle? Yeah, I'm glad to talk to you because I've, you know, I've looked a lot online. Um, there's, you know, there's anecdotal evidence of people that are say they're doing the diet, um, but the science is sparse, at least that I've found so far. You know, I spoke to Dom D'Agostino, he's great, he's got a lot of knowledge, but it's, it still seems very young. And there's a lot of unanswered questions about it, so I'm glad to talk to you about it. Absolutely, and, and at, it, it certainly is. And in some capacity, with 
all of the different areas that you can explore, it's young and some others it's old. And one of the biggest, one of my favorite parts about writing our book was we we have this entire chapter on the history of the ketogenic diet. And you look at where it really originated. Like a lot of people point back to the 1920s when it was used for epilepsy, but it was being used even before that. And then sort of how it faded away is a whole different story with the seven country study and, and Ansel Keys and all those different things. But now it's kind of making this resurgence. And like you said, some of some areas, there's limited data. And I'm glad to see more and more researchers really be interested in a lot of these different topics. Well, very cool. So um, one big question is, where do you see the, the benefits? Um, you know, it's, it's very difficult from what I've experienced and from what I heard to be purely ketogenic. A lot of people that say they are may not be they may be in this other realm of like you know low carb high protein or you know maybe the macros are more balanced where do you see the um the point where you hit uh, what's called a ketogenic diet and what do the benefits look like if you're in it versus close to it maybe you're on like uh modified atkins or you're you're close into that range you know what does that look like that scale yeah and i like to look at it as like a tier system is how i usually explain to people like i think low carb is way better than traditional American diet, like no doubt. Um, it's kind of one of the reasons we're starting to see this shift of people who were eating paleo now shift over to eating ketogenic because it's a very easy transition for them to cut out some of the ancient grains or some of the other berries and fruits that they used to have and just go ketogenic. Uh -huh. But there is, there is a unique benefit of being in a state of ketosis. Um, there, there certainly is. And I think, uh, I, I don't, I think there's some aspects like I'm, I'm myself am not ketogenic 365 days a year, 24 seven. Like there are periods where I'm probably out. There's periods where I'm likely in a state of full ketosis, but at the end of the day, my body is fat adapted. Um, it's been that way for five, six years now because I really don't blow it out on carbohydrates anymore. But I'd say 90% of the time I'm eating what someone would term ketogenic. And to mm. your point on the to, to your point on the benefits, I mean, a lot of people get introduced to this lifestyle from the body composition weight loss perspective, right? It's something that they go, well, it's a lot easier to eat this. It's a lot easier to eat this way from a standpoint of we as a society are facing an epidemic where we've lost control of our appetites. And part of it is due to our fault. Part of it is outside of, outside of our control, so to speak, in a sense that companies are literally making products so that we become addicted to them, right? And I've worked with and seen several nutrition companies that there's a reason why there are ridges on chips and the salt content and, and the sugar content matched up with it. Like it's meant so that we don't just eat one. And a lot of times people, when they go on a ketogenic diet, tend to feel like they have their appetite back in their control, right? They're not starving every two hours looking for a granola bar or chips or crackers. Like I was one of those people. And I was one of those people who was eating every two hours, whether it be oatmeal or protein shakes or candy or something like that. And then finally breaking right. yourself of that, that cycle is, is freeing in some regard. And then that's the main thing that people come into this on but then there's this whole other world of therapeutic possibilities where I really think the ketogenic diet can shine. So let's, you know, let's talk about it. What are the, um, the benefits as you see them from being on a ketogenic diet? 
know, maybe some surprising ones, some obvious ones. Yeah, for sure. Um, one of the ones that I'm fascinated by and interested in exploring is neurodegenerative diseases. Uh, you look at things like Alzheimer's, you look at things like Parkinson's, you look at things like traumatic brain injury. What we're terming Alzheimer's type 3 diabetes, and in my opinion, rightfully so, because a lot of what's going on in these neurodegenerative conditions is that our brain is temporary, it, it, it's not temporary, it's insulin resistant. It can't take up and utilize glucose like when we were running around with when we were five or six years old. The same thing with traumatic brain injury, right? We watch these guys on Sunday play football or whatever sport that involves some, some contact. Their brains are temporarily resistant to taking up and utilizing glucose. Yet what do they do? They run to the sidelines. They have a ton of sugar um, and their brain can't mm. utilize it. And we're wondering why five, 10 years after they're done playing, we're seeing these ridiculous complications going on in their brain because their brain was starving for an energy source and we weren't there to provide it for them. And so those are really interesting applications, things that I'm fascinated in that our lab's exploring, several other labs are exploring. But then, like you mentioned, uh, Dr. Dom D'Augustino, uh, Dr. Angela Poff, there's so many different amazing nonprofits that are looking into ketogenic dieting and cancer, uh, basically going off of this model that uh, cancer cells thrive off of glucose metabolism, right? They're, they're kind of right. structured so that they take up and utilize glucose very rapidly. It's the only way that they can really effectively uh, operate. And so if you starve them of that fuel source, what happens? And, and that's a lot of work being done by Thomas Seafried, Dom D'Augustino, Angela Poff, and those are fascinating areas. And then there's just, there's other interesting areas like uh, autoimmune diseases from an anti-inflammatory uh, perspective. There's actually even some data on autism. So there's, there's realms of possibilities of this unique fuel source uh, being right. somewhat advantageous for a variety of different applications, but we certainly need more research into each individual one of these to really dig into the deeper detail. So, um, all right. So most people's bodies are not what you call fat adapted. They're using sugar liberated from carbs, sugar associated with the meal. And that's the uh, fuel source they're running on. And that runs out pretty quick. And that's why they get hungry fast and they crave and they want more, right? Exactly right. So you're riding this roller coaster of you're carbohydrate adapted. It's very difficult for them to tap into their uh, body fats. And so they get these signs from their brain going, I'm starving two hours after eating a meal. And it's like, well, why is that happening? Um, their glucose is low. They go hypoglycemic. And immediately they, they have a fuel source there to refuel them. Where, and they run to the cabinet, grab some type of snack or granola bar or something like that just to quickly prevent that from happening. Right, exactly. Yeah, I've been in that situation many times, and so people I know. Yeah. So, what's, um, when you're on a, a ketogenic diet, what's happening differently? Can you compare the two, uh, you know, the two circumstances? Yes, great point. And so, basically, what happens is your body switching its primary source of fuel from primarily relying relying on carbohydrates and glucose to relying on fats and ketones. And so, you're you're upregulating certain um, components that contribute to fat metabolism and fat oxidation. And so you're able to break down fat to a much faster degree. And therefore, the, you're able to extract out because insulin's low, because glucose is low, 
fat oxidation is higher. So not only are you burning through the fuel that you're eating when you're on a ketogenic diet, which again, is primarily fat, but you're also able to tap into your own body fat. And that's the main reason why Jeff Bolick is doing work with a lot of these, not only in like traditional endurance athletes, but ultra endurance athletes who are, who are opting to live this way because they're used to consuming goos and gels and trying to put carbohydrates in their body just so they avoid bonking or getting that crash. When in actuality, even the leanest individual has thousands of calories of stored fat it's how do we tap into that? How are we able to train our body to be able to tap into that and utilize that when appropriate? And that's what a lot of these ultra endurance athletes are, are doing and seeing. Okay. Well, what's happening in the brain? You mentioned with athletes that, you know, they're on the sidelines, you know, having, let's say, Gatorade or something, trying to get sugar into them, but the brain can't use it or doesn't optimally use it. Like what, what happens with the brain? What is it like? Yeah. And Yes. And so, I mean, it depends on the individual. If you, you have some people who are extremely insulin sensitive when they're young. If they're an athlete, they're working out all the time. That's fine. But what happens traditionally in contact sports, and I'm talking about NFL, UFC, rugby, and what's even scarier is if you look at the rate of concussions, it's very high in youth soccer, right? You don't even think mm. about that, but it's like all these kids that do headers, uh, that's, that's some sort of head trauma. What you look in, and we, if you look at a lot of the animal studies that have been done on this and some potential human ones, is after that, temp, after that traumatic hit or after their brain gets some type of concussion, you look at their ability to take up and utilize glucose, and it is significantly impaired, not only for a couple of hours, but it can take a couple of days to several weeks, depending on the severity. And so, like you said, these people are going over the sideline, chugging down Gatorade, and their brain cannot take up and utilize that fuel source. So in essence, it's starvation in, in the face of plenty in that we're providing it a fuel source. It's that our brain can't take up and utilize that fuel source. So we're developing these plaques and we're developing these symptoms of CTE after that happening over and over and over again, and the brain's starving and we're not able to provide it a fuel source because we're so carb adapted and slugging down carbohydrates that we think are, are what's necessary to replenish and refuel when in actuality there might be an alternative fuel source that could help in that instance. Well, it sounds funny, but how do brains eat normally? Normally, I, it, it, the brain prefers, believe it or not, if you, if you present the brain ketones and glucose at the same time, it prefers to take up ketones. Um, but 99% of the time, people are so carbohydrate adapted that it can effectively and efficiently run off of glucose. But it's kind of like pounding on the door over and over again. When you start doing that for 30, 40, 50, 60 years, eventually the same, the same signal that you were, you're trying to send is going to become weaker and weaker and weaker. So you're going to need to pump more and more insulin to try and get that process going for it to be taken up into the brain and some of these, and, and a lot of these tissues. And eventually that's where this concept of insulin resistance or what we're, what we talked about with Alzheimer's or type three diabetes is that that signal isn't being picked up anymore by the cells and it, the, the fuel source, which is glucose or carbohydrates, isn't going in anymore. Okay. And the brain is the biggest user of uh, our calories from what I've heard. So it's important that it yep. gets the right fuel. For sure. I have a question about, um, 
the structure of meals itself. I've been thinking about this. You know, like traditionally, um, people have, let's say, you know, bread before their meal. You know, so they have like a lot of carbs before their meal. The meal may be good, it may not be, but you know, they're having a lot of bread before. Or at the end of the meal, they're encouraged to have dessert, which will increase, you know, whatever meal they eat, whether it's good or not, they'll have a lot of sugar. It'll be in the presence of a lot of sugar. Do you have any tips or tricks on how people can alter their meals to make them um, better for them, even if they're not eating optimally? You know, uh, I guess not having dessert obviously would, would lower the, uh, the ambient sugar regardless of what you're eating. You know, are there any other tricks that you can think of uh, to help people improve a meal without eating something differently? You know, of course, they should eat differently, but is there anything they can do in the interim? Absolutely. Um, and like this, this goes to anyone, even if you're not eating a ketogenic diet. I'd say a couple of tools are, one, um, make sure volume matters. And one of the biggest things that I, t- I tell people is, Think about our stomach like a balloon. When our when our stomachs get filled up uh, with uh, a certain amount of volume, it signals to the brain, all right, I'm full, right? We all know that experience on Thanksgiving when we're stuffing our faces and having a ton of food. Like everyone's laying on the couch and is really everyone's really full. But how do you do that? Well, if you're eating candy, it's going to take a lot of candy. Or, or if you're eating bread, it's going to take a lot of bread to be able to fill up that, that, that stomach sensor, right? And you're adding a ton of calories in order to do that. What are some other ways to increase that volume without adding a ton of calories? Well, one is start your meal off with a salad. Um, salad has a lot of volume, right? And it's, fair, it's fairly low calorie, as long as you're not dousing it and dressing and having a ton of croutons with it. And the other thing is uh, hydrate. Stay hydrated. Uh, I think a lot of times people often eat more, not only because they're dehydrated, but they're not having fluids with their meals. So like as soon as mm. I get to a restaurant, if I'm eating out, like before the waiter even comes over and asks if we're if we're ready for like appetizers, I'm already usually down one glass. Because think about that. Now that fluid sitting in your stomach, you already have something as a baseline. It doesn't matter if you've eaten at all all day you have something that's increasing that volume. And over time, liquid adds up too. So ways to increase volume to your to your meals, I think is the best way to do it. It makes sense. And maybe the order, you know, I've, I've told people that, that say, oh, I just, I love bread. I, I, I have to have it. You know, I try to tell them, well, have the other parts of the meal first and have it at the end because maybe you'll be a lot less hungry and you'll have less of the bread just as a, a great gap to help them, you know. That's a great point. And to, kind of going along with that, you made me think of another one is actually chew and enjoy, uh, and enjoy your food. I feel like we're at a point now because mm. of technology and high stress situations of life, people inhale their food. Um, and I used to be one of these people as well. Like I'd just eat and then go, go off into another meeting. But in order to literally allow those triggers to take place where you really feel full, like enjoy it, put your fork down after you take a bite like that, that can drastically help. And so I think those are, that's another tool because you see people when they go to buffets, right? It's like a, it's like a game. How much can I fit in? And they're stuffing stuff and stuff. And then as soon as they stop eating, they feel like crap 30 minutes or 60 minutes later, because now it's all starting to fill up and really expand. And you're like, whoa, I ate way too much sort of thing. Yeah. What, you know, what is, um, 
to you, you know, being a doctor, what is food coma? You know, why do people feel exhausted after some meals? I've noticed like when I have, you know, I try not to, but when I have a, a decent amount of carbs, I just feel like, Bleh. why is that yep. What's happening? Yeah, there's a lot of biochemical responses going on in the body. You're, you're, you're working with things like ghrelin and leptin. Um, but in, in essence, a lot of it is due to the insulin load, right? When you, when you are eating a ton of carbohydrates, you get this huge rise in insulin. And I, I actually did this the other day. It was my birthday. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to go every, every one of my birthdays. I go and I have um, hibachi. And so I go, I went and I was like, all right, I'm going to, I'm going to indulge. But afterwards I felt like crap because I went and I had some rice and noodles. Well, during that meal, I'm getting a huge insulin load, huge carbohydrate load, huge insulin load. And then it's like a roller coaster, right? What goes up must come down. And so afterwards that kind of comes down and you're still full from the meal, but your body's sensing like, Hey, uh, I'm, I need, I need something like my insulin's not as high. Glucose is starting to come back down. What's going on. And just puts you in the state of uh, being lethargic where you're like tired. You got all different kinds of hormones being released. And that's really this vicious cycle slash roller coaster that we experience. Right. And what about um, exogenous ketones? You know, I, I take them as powders, as liquids, um, any, you know, let's talk about them for a minute. Uh, why do you believe they help? Where should they be in your eating plan? You know, what's the best way to use them? Absolutely. I think they are a great tool. And a lot of people are either, a lot of people are against exogenous ketones. And, and I'm not because I think they're a tool if used correctly. Uh, exogenous ketones were first marketed as, hey, drink these and you're instantly going to lose 15 pounds. Uh, that won't happen. Um, there are ways that exogenous ketones can help increase satiety. And can help in that regard where like, say, for instance, you're craving something or you're hungry. Well, instead, you, you, you drink some exogenous ketones that are 50 calories and that might prolong your fasting for another two hours. That's likely a beneficial thing that will lead to improvements in body composition. But where I see the real hmm. potential for exogenous ketones is, is it's multiple different areas. But one is the cognitive benefits. Like we were talking about before, the brain loves ketones. And so taking them up and utilizing them in that capacity, not only for healthy individuals where it's being taken up and utilized kind of as not like a caffeine replacement, because a lot of times people get a downer from caffeine, whereas exogenous ketones wouldn't do that, but kind of just like a little spark of energy, a little improvement in clarity, a little improvement in focus. Um, that's what we're seeing with exogenous ketones, but also an enormous application for some of these, some of these other situations that we talked about, like traumatic brain injury, when instead of going over to the sideline, I look forward to the day when they're not slugging down Gatorade, but they're slugging down exogenous ketones to not only provide them energy for their performance, but also provide them fuel for their brain because they just took a huge hit on the field. Um, so there's a lot of potential. There's a lot of potential with exogenous ketones. There's new and emerging data now coming out showing that not only are exogenous ketones a fuel source, but they're a signaling molecule. And they seem to have aspects of signaling where that can, and our lab's done some research looking at supplementing animals with exogenous ketones and looking at longevity. Dom and Angela's lab has been doing a research with supplementing with exogenous ketones in cancer. And a lot of this may be 
attributed to the signaling component that exogenous ketones have that is really, really unique. So what, um, what are some ways to use them? You know, like what would happen if um, I took exogenous ketones before every meal, for instance? You know, what, what would happen to me or is there a better way to use them? You know, what do you recommend? In the morning and the night yeah. with every meal, what would happen? Yeah, and some people, like, if you're taking exogenous ketones and then going and having a Big Mac, there's likely, I mean, there may be a small improvement, but it's not something that's going to negate the effects of that meal. We do see that with exogenous ketones, it seems that they seem to improve insulin sensitivity slightly, so that could be helpful in that instance, even in someone who's not on a ketogenic diet. But the, one of the main areas that I see people applying exogenous ketones is this concept of intermittent fasting, this concept of fasting is growing more than ever. And you're seeing these people in Silicon Valley who are doing it to try and get an elevation in ketones solely for the cognitive focus benefits that they get from, from, being on a, uh, from fasting for that long. Well, exogenous ketones may help prolong that fast. And I think that's a pretty interesting tool where using them maybe mid-afternoon where uh, say, say you did have lunch. Well, a lot of times instead of having lunch and then going and having what most people term second lunch before they go home and have dinner, maybe instead you have exogenous ketones, that way you're focused and carried on throughout the rest of the day, but you're not eating a ton of calories. Or say you're intermittent fasting in the morning and rather than eat your lunch at 11 a.m., you have exogenous ketones at 11 a.m. and now you're pushing your lunch until 12.30 or 1 p.m. and you're extending that fasting period but not feeling like crap because you're hangry and your glucose is low. Now you have a fuel source in order to be able to provide. Any um, benefits of taking them when you first wake up? It sounds like that'll extend your, your fast you know, because you've been sleeping and not mm-hmm. eating. What about like yeah. right before bed? Any effects there? Um, there can be, and a, a lot of it depends on the type of exogenous ketone um, that you're taking. A lot of times it may be stimulating if you, ha- if you take a different formulation. Some formulations have caffeine in it, so you obviously wouldn't want to take that before bed, but there are BHB supplements that are bound to magnesium, and I think there's some formulations that can help ease that transition into sleep because magnesium is really good for sleep. And then a small dose of ketones may actually help improve sleep quality as well. Okay. Well, all right. So back to the um, to the diet. How do you help people that you know want to look into the benefits of it, want to do the diet, but they're either afraid or they feel like they can't do it or they don't know how to do it? I mean, how do people take the first steps into uh, getting into it? Absolutely. And you. There is a huge psychological component to it because the biggest thing that as a society, and this is just human nature in general, is we fear, we, we fear regret, we fear things being taken away from us. And oftentimes it's like, well, I can't have that. I can't have that. And the biggest mindset shift that I try and get people to understand is instead of looking at what you can't have, let's look at all the amazing things you can have. And one of the things that we do, we put out a lot of content is this concept of keto swaps, like there's virtually anything that you have that is, has a ton of carbohydrates other than some candies, so to speak. And, and there's, there actually are some now that are being developed that are way lower carb, but mainly anything that you enjoy, there's ultimately an, alter, an, an alternative for it. And the amazing thing about it is, cool, you like pasta, there's other ways to have 
ketogenic friendly pasta. Uh, cool, you like cookies? Great, there's keto cookies. And so it's getting someone to understand, wow, this isn't a restricted, limited, I can only eat meat, eggs, and bake, like, like that, that's not all I, I'm going to have. Realizing there's this is a lifestyle and realizing that there's much more to it than just certain food groups, that's one of the first things. And then easing someone into it. I always say when someone's first, trying to take that first step, it depends on where you're starting from. And if you're starting from eating McDonald's every day for three meals a day and you're having 500, 600 grams of carbs, I wouldn't recommend that someone immediately jump into a ketogenic diet. I would get them to go maybe Mediterranean for a week or two and then maybe go paleo slash low carb and then go into keto versus someone who's paleo slash low carb already. It's very easy for them to make that transition. Because rather than making a radical shift of going from 600 grams of carbs to eating 30 grams of carbs, it's easier to make that step-by-step progress and transition versus someone going cold turkey and going, oh my gosh, like now I'm having all these cravings and, and I have all this junk food still left in my house. What do I do? Like those are big pieces where the psychological component comes into it. And so, like you said, it's all about taking the first step. If you're going to do it, understand and look at it from a lifestyle perspective and look at it from something that this isn't restrictive, but it's so amazing of all the benefits that I'll, that you achieve from it, but all the amazing aspects that you can make almost any recipe keto friendly. Mm. So where's your current uh, focus? What are you looking at? What are you trying to discover within the, you know, the ketogenic world? What's your plan for the next, the next year? Where do you want to take things? Yeah, uh, there's a lot that we're we're hoping to do. So we um, we're definitely big into this traumatic brain injury. We're working very closely with uh, former NFL vets. Uh, I think it's an atrocity that the NFL is isn't looking into this uh, more seriously because better helmets aren't going to do it. Uh, it's going to we need to address the root of the issue, not just put a bandaid on it. And so we're actively pursuing that. Same thing, we're about to embark on a Parkinson's trial. I think there's some really unique opportunity there um, to see some benefits. Um, But also, we have colleagues that are looking at PTSD. Um, We have colleagues that are looking at this in kids, Uh, like all different applications of, and then one, really figuring out what constitutes a well-formulated ketogenic diet. Because like you mentioned, when we first started, in some aspects, this is relatively new in a sense that people are looking at this and going, well, all the data that's out there on kids or even adults with epilepsy are utilizing an 85 to 90% of their diet as fat. Well, that's likely not optimal for 99% of the population. And in, uh, by my opinion, I don't think it's necessary. So what allows someone to maybe be able to go 65% fat, or maybe allow someone to be 60% fat and still be in a state of ketosis, those are all areas that we're exploring of how do you now funk factor in intermittent fasting with use of exogenous ketones, with use of medium chain triglycerides, and maybe potentially allow someone to be a little bit more flexible and still be able to live in this unique metabolic state. Those are areas that we're looking to really optimize. Well, just just one or two more questions. What kind of protocols have you had athletes try, or you know, people with medical conditions try, um, and what's been the uh, the results? 
Yeah, so a lot of athletes, depending upon the athlete and depending upon what their sport involves and where they're at, um, a lot of times we might approach uh, an athlete utilizing a targeted ketogenic approach, meaning that these athletes are, uh, and a lot of them love it, right? They're waking up, they're eating eggs and bacon, um, or they're eating some keto pancakes or something like that. And then they have some type of salad with meat for lunch. And then um, before they work out or anytime around their workout period, they might have 25 to 40 grams of carbs. And so those carbs are being burnt through so quickly from what these athletes are exercising or what they're putting them through. And in that instance, we're utilizing carbohydrates how they should be utilized um, as an ergogenic aid or as a tool. Because in, in the, at the end of the day, there's no such thing as an essential carbohydrate. Um, our bodies can produce the amount of glucose that it needs on its own, but these athletes are utilizing the carbohydrates as a tool to be able to fuel their fuel and power through their workouts. Um, that's one of the ways that we've worked with athletes that's done really, really well. And then in therapeutic conditions or just your average Joe, um, that they don't necessarily need that bolus of carbohydrates, right? They're on more of a well-formulated ketogenic diet. Oftentimes, we're big proponents of, of incorporating in some sort of fasting, um, likely intermittent fasting. It's easy for people to do um, in the morning. They tend to do it in the morning. So they just have maybe two meals a day and they're eating lunch and dinner, sometimes maybe having a snack with that. And they love it because it's liberating. They feel great. Um, they're not addicted to food anymore. And it's really, it's great for people who are, busy involved in business because it takes time out of your day to eat something and worry about, oh my gosh, I need to go grab something really quick. Like that's valuable time. And so giving people back yeah. time through dietary interventions, that's a powerful piece. Well, very good. So what's the best way for people to find out more to, you know, to get your book, to learn about the, the whole ketogenic world? Absolutely. So um, we have a book called the ketogenic Bible. Uh, that, that we published. It's got all the research and science, a lot of the stuff that we talked about today um, in there. And then every day we update, we have a website called ketogenic.com and we have articles, amazing recipes on there. And it's just information. We do stuff on social media at ketogenic.com, um, on my personal page at Ryan P. Lowry uh, on Facebook and Instagram. And we basically put a ton of just information, content, infographics up to really allow people to try and get this, what most people get overwhelmed with complex information. We try and take that, chew it up and make it digestible for people to say, hey, let's talk about medium chain triglycerides or hey, let's talk about exogenous ketones in an easy, understandable manner. And that's what we're trying to do with ketogenic.com. Well, very good. Well, Dr. Larry, thanks for coming on and I really appreciate your time. Awesome. Well, thank you very much. I'm honored to be on and I appreciate the opportunity. You've been listening to Almost Here, Around the Corner Future Technology Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Subscribe to this podcast, both to review and discover more future technologies that are poised to transform our lives for better or worse, such as Bitcoin, artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more.